0: Blog Talk Radio. Here comes Inspirational Gold with Carol Gold, truth, empowerment, and inspiration. Inspiration. If you're tired and done with news that has an agenda, politicians that seek only re-election, and a culture run amok, Carol Gold awakens you to what is and what's possible. And now, supporting you on the journey, honoring you in your choices, empowering you to be your highest self, and always lighting and leading the way, here is Carol Gold. chaos. I'm trying very hard as we speak to get this on Facebook Live. I'm having a little bit of technological challenge at the moment. Hopefully you can hear me, although I don't think people can see me because I've done something um, I'm unaware of that has caused me not to be able to um, see Facebook Live, and I'm not quite sure to correct that, and I just promoted it, that it's going to be Facebook Live, so bear with me, everybody. Um, I'm trying still to get this on, and I think, with a little bit of luck, we can go there now, although I'm not sure. Okay, well, if I'm not on Facebook Live, I'm at least podcasting live, and that's what matters, right? So let's, um, let's talk today a little bit about time, and why do I want to talk about time? And the reason is that Um, the technology has sped everything up so much that all we have time for is the present. And, boy, am I experiencing that right now as I try to do the show. My whole day got overrun with things, and I got to the show late, which is why now I'm not able at the moment to correct whatever problems are happening with posting on Facebook Live. Um, I think I'm there now, and I think – give me one second – Yes, I think we're Facebook Live now. Hi, everybody who's just joined us on Facebook Live, and now I can really take off with the show. Sorry about the intro. Okay, so what I was talking about is time, and what just happened is a great intro to today's show, and that is the world we live in has everything happening so fast, and everyone is so stressed, and there is so much tension that we push ourselves and others to the edge more times than not in just trying to keep up, right? So it happened to me today. I knew I had a show at 3 o'clock Central, and I had my day planned out, but things happened, and more things got added to my day. And the next thing I knew, I was barely back in my studio able to log into the show and get Facebook Live on, and then, of course, what happened was Facebook Live was not on, and I, and I had to start the podcast without Facebook Live, and now finally it's all together. So why is this a great lead-in for today's show? It's a great lead-in because it speaks to the stress and what that does to us, but it also speaks to the concept of time and how time gets compressed when we are so inundated with all that we have to do to keep up. What I want to say about time is, you know, in the spiritual, um, it's been several years, right, since um, the book, uh, Eckhart Tolle's book, Be Here Now. And the book Be Here Now was all about being in the present. And the whole spiritual movement is about being in the present. Well, guess what? There is a gap between spiritually being centered and being in the present moment and only being able to be in the present moment because the technology and the pace of life has us so moving so quickly that we don't have any choices. We don't have any time to look at the past or project into the future. So there's a distinction there because the be here now, the living in the now, the spiritual now is, a calm, it's a centering, it's a being on purpose in your life. But the now, the presence of the technology and the pace of life forces us into is not a centered place. It's an I'm so busy, I only have time for whatever's in front of me in the moment and don't bother me with the past and don't ask me to think about the future. Why is one healthy and one not? And the answer to this question is, let's look at, and and again, those of you who know me and know this show and know other shows that I've done, I'm not trying to make a political statement here, but let's look for a moment at the politics of things in order to understand what I'm saying about this concept of time. If you have no time to learn history, and you have no time to think about the consequences of your actions in the present, into the future, in other words, what are you creating for the future by what the choices that you're making in the moment, if you have no time to do that, then let's take, for example, socialism becomes nothing more than Bernie Sanders. It becomes nothing more than a sweet elderly politician who talks about equality for all. That's if you have no sense of past and you have no sense of consequence of the, into the future of your present-day actions. If you have had time to study history, if you have time to think about the consequences of your action, then socialism becomes something in the context of the hundreds of millions of people that died under Stalin and the hundreds of millions of people that died as a result of, of Marxist theology. You then, be a, you then are able to give it context. Without context, you can define something any way you want. So, for example, did you ever see that little, um, it's like a perception game. You see a little gray square, and it looks like the square has a little bit of a, of a, of a, of a dip to it. And you're asked, okay, what is this? And people guess everything from the side of a car to a baseball uniform. They all project onto that little swatch of gray with a little tiny dip in it of what it could be. But when you back away and you look at that in context, it's an elephant. It's a a little teeny snapshot of the elephant's forehead right before the dip of, of a tusk. Why do I bring that up? I bring that up because that's the benefit of perspective and context. You get to see, quote, the whole picture. And we are so stressed in our lives today. We are so rushed. We are so pressured that there's no time for past and there's no time for future. In a meditative state, that's a great thing. If you can stay present in your life to deal with what's in front of you, that's a great quality. But not when it's an escape from all the pressure, such that you can't give your actions and you can't give your choices context. You know, there's a poll out this week. It's a Gallup poll. And it says that only 34% of people under the age of, I think it's 35, think it's necessary to live in a democracy. (laughs) Well, the reason that only 35 or 34% of those people think that is because they have no concept of the distinction between what living in a democracy or a constitutional republic is and living in socialism or communism or one of the many other um, efforts by humankind to create a governmental structure or to create a structure that holds society in place. This show is not intended to tell you what to think. I'm not here to tell you to be a Republican, a Democrat, a Libertarian, an agnostic, an atheist, whatever. I'm not here to tell you what to think. I do this show to try to talk about how to think. Because how to think is infinitely more important than what to think. If you know how to think, if you know how to critically think, you'll get to where you want to go in your own life. You'll get to the to the things that you choose to believe in. But if you don't know how to think, if you can't put things in context, if you're so rushed, if you're so busy, if you're so stressed that you make instantaneous decisions out of context, not connected to values, not connected to principles, Not connected to things you formed within yourself that give value to your life, then you're, you know, you're flapping in the wind, right? You're just, you're just, you're just being tossed about by whatever wind comes your way. There's no anchor. The anchor is self-reliance. The anchor is free will. The anchor is making decisions that are thoughtful, not just because You made them instantaneously and they're yours. But because you made them within a framework and a context of what that means for you as a person, as an individual, as a human, as part of a species, what that means for your neighborhood, your community, your nation, whatever, you give it context. We don't have time to do that. We're so rushed. We're so stressed. And so this show is about that often. This show is about giving things context and being able to make wise decisions. The other thing I wanted to talk about was in in this context, no pun intended, is addiction. Because the stress that we feel and the pressure that we feel is the result of our own addiction. So what is our addiction to? Well, I'm not talking about the addiction to drugs or substances because that's a whole other conversation, but it is also a level of addiction. I'm talking about addiction to the technology and addiction to the outrage. Addiction to the outrage. The technology is more obvious, right? We all know that we're addicted to our phones, we're addicted to our iPads, we check them how many times a day, we, we are guided and driven by the dings on the phone and the chirps and the sounds and the Gmail and, the, and Pinterest and, and all of the tech, technological infringements We know we're driven by that. Whether we choose to admit that we're addicted or not is another story. But there's a recent addiction that I think is more challenging and more dangerous, actually. And that addiction is to conflict, to outrage, to opposition, to extremes. I think that we have become addicted to our side, whatever that is, and then being angry or outraged or adamantly opposed to anyone and anything that isn't on our side, that doesn't see things the way we see them. You know, again, we go to the news but not for an agenda. We go for examples, and we go for examples of the highest good that we're capable of. So the example I would choose for this is, um, Chief uh, Justice um, Anto- uh, Anthony Kennedy, right? He submitted his resignation. Okay, we're going to need a new Supreme Court justice. Before the process even begins, there's outrage. There's extreme positions. If we don't get a Democrat or a liberal or, or someone left, the country's going to collapse. If we get someone right, if we don't get someone who's extremely right, Um, We'll wind up with a liberal court again or someone like Kennedy who goes either way. Everyone is dug in their positions and everyone's ready to argue their positions and argue the positions in the extreme when the process hasn't even started yet. And so there may be merit to, there always is merit, right, to both sides of an argument. There's always wisdom in both sides of an argument. But we have to have the patience, we have to have the respect, we have to have the desire to sit through that process, to allow it to unfold before we slam the door on the face of anyone who doesn't see things the way we see them. You know, I heard an example this past week about immigration and the children being separated from parents on the border. I'm not going to pit Obama against Trump, but I don't want to do that. I want to talk about the example I heard, and it was that what we're doing to families on the border is worse than what we did to Japanese Americans during World War II. Now, if if you have no context, and you don't know history, and you don't take the time, and you just get your source information from a news clip or a talking head, or a podcast, if that's where you get your information from and you hear, oh, my gosh, what we're doing on the border is worse than what was done to Japanese-Americans in World War II. If you know the facts, Japanese-Americans were put in internment camps. They were put in there for four years. Everything they had, personal belongings, land, property, was taken away from them by the federal government. And when those four years were over and we had made a shameful mistake, they were put back into their lives with nothing. And it took decades, I think it was until the 80s, until the government gave each family $20,000. Big deal. For imprisoning them for four years during World War II because they were of Japanese descent. There's no way you can equate that to what's happening on the border. However, out of context, without knowledge, without being fully informed, that headline, that podcast, that newscast can inflame you. It can, you could love children and it could make you very angry that something as horrible as what we did to Japanese Americans in World War II is happening to children on the border. It simply isn't true. And truth has to matter. Truth has to matter. If we don't care what the truth is, you might as well acknowledge then that you're living in the, the wrong side of the matrix. Because if you don't care what the truth is, if we don't care what the truth is, and I talked about truth on, on my show last week, none of us has 100% of the truth. We all have a piece, right? And that's why listening to one another, being open to one another is the way that we get closer and beyond our small piece of the truth. Because unless we allow others in and we allow ourselves to process what it is they're saying, their differences from us, their perspective, other than the one we have ourselves, unless we do that, there's no way we can get beyond what we ourselves narrowly know. You know, I do this show, but I joke all the time. When I talk, in a sense, I bore myself. Why? Because almost everything I say, I know, right? When I say almost everything I say, I know. What I mean is I am a lawyer, but I am an intuitive, right? And so there are things that I, quote, channel or information that I get that is intuitive information. But that's when I'm in a specific mode or doing a specific thing. When I'm discussing facts, when I'm discussing perspective, when I'm discussing my opinion, I know what I know. So for me to keep telling you, to tell someone else, to try to get you to know what I know, I don't learn anything. I learn by being quiet. I learn by hearing from you. It's why I hope this show creates a dialogue, right? Because I can't, on my own, grow very much without allowing others with different perspectives in. I can read books, yes. And then we get back to how many people have time to read books anymore. Everyone's patience is 15 seconds long, some millennials less. You know, 4 seconds on the swipe, 4 seconds on the new on the new uh, website. And so it's breathing and slowing down and allowing. When I talk about allowing, I'm talking about being trusting enough, and present enough in your own life to let life bring you. It may be bringing you new, new opinions. It may be bringing you new people. It may be bringing you a new job. It may be bringing you a new relationship. But life has a flow, and it has, it has a purpose. If you look outside, if you look at nature, if you ever wonder if there's a plan, look at nature, right? There's a flow and there's an order. Within the chaos, and that's the paradox, right? There's order within chaos, and there's chaos within order. And they are not mutually exclusive, right? It's why when you look at the Chinese symbol of yin and yang, they sort of blend into each other. The whole is created through the opposites of its content. And as a whole, it works. As as individual parts, they're limited. They're limited, right? So I'm limited, you're limited, unless we allow others in. And the addiction that we have to the technology and the addiction that we have to the outrage that if you don't see the world the way I do, I can get angry at you, I can unfriend you on Facebook. How many people have I heard many say, I've known someone for 20 years and now they won't talk to me because I posted X on Facebook. How intolerant can we be? How can we think that we're a tolerant people or even that I'm a tolerant individual? If you say something I don't like and I need to unfriend you, I need to cut you out of my life because you see things differently than I see them. There's something inherently wrong and certainly inherently intolerant in that narrow of a perspective, and yet it happens every day. It happens every single day. The other danger of that, and this connects to the outrage that if you don't see things the way I do, I can hate you. I can see you as my adversary. I can tell you through personal experience, which is what I always say is the only real way of knowing, I can tell you through personal experience that hate or negative emotion, whatever it is, does more damage to the person harboring the emotion or even the person projecting the emotion than it could ever do to the person to whom you're projecting it. I know this. I used to have a lot of narrow boundaries around who I liked and who I didn't, who I accepted and who I didn't, who I judged and who I didn't, and mostly I judged. And it took me a long time to realize that the damage I do in that is done to me. It's not done to the other person. Because people who are clear about themselves reject that energy. They don't own it. The only reason someone judges others is because they're busy judging themselves. They, I was judging myself a lot and finding a lot coming up short in myself, which then, I made myself feel better through judging others and having them come up short. But in the end, the damage is inherently mine. And I magnify that damage when I behave that way. And so one of the things that it's important to realize is that positive energy works in every direction. It works internally and it works externally. When you feel loving about yourself when you feel the value I like to say the divinity of yourself when you know that own that you then see that in others and that gets us closer not only to the truth of who we are and why we're here it gets us closer to the concept of oneness it gets us closer to realizing how connected each one of us is you know You know the expression when we bleed, we all bleed red, we all bleed the same? Well, it goes way beyond that. We all suffer the same. We all experience pain the same. When I say that, what I mean is my pain is always the worst, whatever it is, because it's mine, and I'm feeling it. Your pain is the worst for you. Suffering is suffering, no matter who's doing it. It's still the worst thing that could happen to the person to whom it's happening. We all have that in common. We all have in common how wonderful we feel when love enters our life in terms of a relationship with another person, whether that person is a child or whether that person is a, uh, someone of, an, of another gender or that person is someone that we choose and want to be in relationship with and it's reciprocated. We all know how great love feels. We all feel, in a sense, we all feel, forget, forget the, the quantity or the quality, we all feel. Some of us feel pain more than we allow ourselves to feel pleasure, but we still feel, okay? And all of us feel. And so we have that in common. And the more we are loving of ourselves and the more we acknowledge our own divinity, as I said before, the more we see that in others. It's one of the, it's one of the answers. It's, it, it may be the answer because the opposite in judgment and separation is to disconnect. Because when I disconnect from others, I dis- disconnect from a part of source because all of the other people are also connected to source. And so when I disconnect from loving feelings, whether they're with my, with, with my child or, or, or my friend or if I'm in a relationship with, my, with that other, I'm disconnecting a matrix of Source, but in a positive sense, a matrix. I'm disconnecting from the totality, the globalness of it all. I'm hearing myself talk, and I'm thinking, wow, Carol, you're really in the deep end today. And I'm hearing also a friend of mine who used to say to me, Carol, one of the things you have to do is dumb it down. You have to dumb it down because people just don't want to think at the level at which you think. You do it naturally, but other people don't enjoy that. They don't go there. And I've never been able to do that, and I'm really glad that I can't do that. And the reason I'm glad I can't do that is because we are living in a world of such superficial communication and introspection and depth of inquiry that I think people are actually starving for challenging thoughts, for challenging, for, for for elevated conversation, for the discourse to be more than just about Pinterest or Facebook, for it to be more than just fake news or hateful news or generating adversity among us, I think we're hungry to bring meaning into our lives. And I think the way you bring meaning into life is by going deep. I don't think you get there any other way it's kind of like success. You get there through hard work. You don't get there through, okay, I'm ready, where's my 15 minutes of fame? That's not how it happens. People who actually achieve meaningful success and produce something for the culture or for the society or for the species that is beneficial and long lasting, they get there through work. You and I may only see the moment of, you know, rockets and stars when it happens, but when you hear their story, you realize that they got there through hard work and, and concerted efforts and not giving up when things got difficult. We're all so quick to just try and then, oh, well, it didn't happen. So, right, next website, next video next Facebook friend It's not that easy. And it isn't supposed to be that easy. Because satisfaction comes from effort put in. and It's proportionate to effort put in. It's why people who hit the lottery on chance who've never had anything, and then they hit the lottery for $100 million or whatever it is, and we find out five years later, they're back living in the street again. It's because there was no effort in. Buying lottery tickets is not proportionate to winning a hundred million dollars. The effort in wasn't there. So the satisfaction and the reward isn't there either. There's still a yearning for more. And the more that they're yearning for isn't to buy more cars or buy a boat or do something more with the hundred million. The yearning is for the meaning. And the meaning comes from the effort that we put in. And so no, I don't want to dumb it down. I don't I don't want to get more simplistic. There's, there are enough podcasts. There's enough places you can go for entertainment. And that's what it is. And it's not to say that I don't think I'm entertained, because at times I can be. Um, but I'm intensely serious most of the time. And I'm very intellectual a great deal of the time because I'm forever looking for the next level of meaning in my life and in the lives of the people that I encounter. And if I can help people find more meaning, then that brings me satisfaction. So if I, when I work with people coaching, and I'm, I'm not doing this supportive, but when I work with people and I'm coaching or when I practice law and people were going through divorce as they got strong with me as their attorney through the divorce process, because that was always my goal, or if I'm coaching someone now in a professional change or a personal life transition, as they get stronger, as I put in more effort to support them in their highest goal, I get tremendous satisfaction from their strengthening themselves because I don't mind putting the effort in as long as there's a positive outcome. That's the goal for me and for my clients. So no, dumbing it down is not my, is not my thing. Um, one other point, very important to make, and I'll go back to the Anthony Kennedy example, because in the West, and I say in Western culture, we are predicated upon what Aristotle taught us, which is yes and no, black and white, up or down, right? There's a dilemma. A dilemma, the word dilemma, when someone says, I have such a dilemma, I don't know whether to go here or go there. A dilemma, dies is two, and lemma is problem. So a dilemma is I've got a problem. I have to choose between one of two things. That's Aristotelian logic, and it's what the West is founded upon. However, in the East, about 500 years after Aristotle, lived a Buddhist philosopher named Nagarjuna. I think he was born a Hindu, became a Buddhist, or I have it backwards. But Nagarjuna lived, excuse me, about 500 years after Aristotle. And Nagarjuna said, in every instance, there's four choices, not two, four. There's X, there's not X or Y, right? There's X or not X. There's both X and not X. There's both X and Y, for example, or there's neither X nor Y. There's four in every situation. In the East, in the West, rather, we think black and white. We don't think about the possibility. So let me give you a very personal example, a true story. My daughter, when she was graduating high school, came to me and said, I need a prom dress. So we went shopping and we saw some dresses. And one of the dresses, she looked spectacular in. But it was much more money than I had planned to spend on a prom dress. And I said, honey, it looks great. And you look great, but not so much. We're going to keep looking. We went and we looked some more and we found another dress. Very lovely More my taste than hers. The dress she had first seen was a a one-of-a-kind, and my daughter's one-of-a-kind. It takes a certain kind of person to wear it, and she could. But it was expensive. We bought the, the second dress. And after I bought it and I was thinking about it, I said to myself, you know what? That first dress is her. And, yes, it was more than I wanted to spend. But I'm going to surprise her, and I'm going to go get it for her. And that's what I did. So she now has two prom dresses because the first and second one had been altered and we couldn't take it back. We're sitting at dinner one night and she, before the prom, and she says to me, I, I, I have a problem. And I said, what's your problem? And she said, I don't know which dress. I, like, have this dilemma. I don't know which dress to wear. And I thought, ah, teachable moment, right? I'm always about a teachable moment. So I said, why don't you wear both? And she said, okay, mom, even for you, that's way out there. And I said, no, no, wait a minute. I said, Aristotle, and I talked to her about X, Y, X, and Y, or neither X nor Y. And I said, look, you have a photo session and a cocktail hour first. And then you have the dance. And they're, they're going to transport you from the photo session and the cocktails, you know, non-alcoholic cocktails, to the, to the dance, to the, to the uh, prom dance. I said, why don't you wear one dress to the cocktail hour? I'll bring the other one in the car because I'm coming for the photos. And then you can change before you get on to the transportation and go to the prom. And that's what she did. X and Y. It was a fourth option. We are so pressed for time. We are so stressed. We are so inundated with choices that we tend to think, number one, I have to make the decision right now. Number two, it better be this or it better be that because after all, we live in a black and white world, right? It's yes or no, up or down, black or white. When in fact, If we can breathe, if we can center ourselves, if we can decide that we're going to make the time to be thoughtful, to be thorough in our evaluation of our choices, if we make them in context of what came before and of the consequences of the decision that we choose to make, And if we tell ourselves it isn't necessarily yes or no, black or white, there may be a combination. There may be a permutation. There may be another option of the way this could be resolved or the way this could go forward. Then not only, I think, not only do we get rid of some of the stress, but we become more on purpose because after all, we're free willed creative individuals and we're not supposed to always take what's in front of us as the only option. You know, I was listening to an interview this week of a young man. I cannot think of his last name because it's Iranian. It's called the third door, the book that he wrote. And at 18 years of age, his last name begins with a B, but it's on Amazon, The Third Door. At 18 years of age, he was bored in college, and he decided that if he could just interview famous people in the world and find out how they got there, he would have that secret. Well, it's a fascinating book. I've read it. It's a fascinating story of how, he, how the book evolved. But here's the essence of the book. He says there's always a third door. So already he's passed the dilemma of Aristotelian thinking. He says, it's like when you go to a nightclub. There's the front door where everybody stands in line and it wraps around the block and you're waiting and you're waiting and you got to go in through the bouncer. And then there's that other door that only the rich and the celebrities get to go in. He said, there's always a third door. It may be down the, down the alley, You may have to pound on it. You may have to go in through the window, but there's always the third door. And in his experience of interviewing some of the most successful and celebrated people in this country, in his book, he says that every one of them, whether it was Bill Gates or Steven Spielberg or Lady Gaga, every one of them went through the third door to get where they were. You can't go through the third door if you're constantly under pressure, if you're being inundated with hatred and anger and rage on the nightly news, if your life is so overextended, if the technology is running your life because the pace of the technology is infinitely faster than the pace of all of all of our humanness all of our humanity, all of our physical organs, the frequencies are just different. It's an energy problem, right? Literally, it's it's probably a mathematical problem. Everything is energy. Everything vibrates at a frequency. The human heart, every organ in your body vibrates at a different frequency. None of those frequencies are compatible with what's coming out of the iPad or the computer screen or my cell phone. If all of that is playing upon you, you can't find the third door. You can't even begin to look for it. You're too stressed. You're too busy. So what do we do? Well, I talked about it earlier. I talked about part of it earlier. Allowing. Allowing is key. Trusting that life knows what to bring you and that if you just stand still long enough, it will be in front of you. That doesn't mean you become immobile. It doesn't mean you become static and stagnant and don't do anything. It means you need spaces in your day. You need spaces in your thought process where you allow things to just bubble up from the circumstances around you. And then you trust that if it bubbled up in front of you, it's for you to handle. You know I've talked about this before. I talk about what the technology brought to us, what CNN did when it went on the air. It allowed a tsunami in Bangladesh to be present for me at every moment. It doesn't mean I'm not to care about the people who are being harmed by the tsunami. It means it's not happening to me in real time. So, while I am emotionally and and as a species connected to those people in Bangladesh, it's not in front of me to handle. But if I watch the news and I keep watching the news and I watch hours and hours of the damage and the tsunami and the people fleeing, it becomes my reality, but not a reality I can affect. Not a reality I can make a difference in. Because the reality I can alter is the one that's directly in front of me. It's the experience you can have in your own life in any given moment of any given day because of what you are encountering. And that is yours to handle. And what's in front of me is mine to handle. And so allowing is key. But so is courage. So is courage. It takes, you know, if you've ever seen Ishtar, the movie with um, Dustin Hoffman and Warren Beatty. It's a cult film, and it's, I think it's hysterical. My ex-husband and I used to watch it, and it, we both enjoyed it. it was a, it's just a cult film. Anyway, there's a moment in that movie when Dustin Hoffman is wants to commit suicide, and he's sitting on a ledge on, on a high rise, and Warren Beatty crawls out on the ledge with him, And Dustin Hoffman says, you know, I'm 35, whatever it is. I'm 40 years old and I have nothing. And Warm Baby says, it takes a lot of courage to have nothing at your age. (laughs) And I love that line, right? Because if we constantly judge ourselves and use as barometers and scales What people around us would use, what the culture uses, what the society uses, we may oftentimes find ourselves coming up short, right? Because, for example, I went to law, I went to college when I was 24, I graduated when I was 28. I went to law school at 33, I graduated when I was 37. These were wonderful things for me to have accomplished, but I only accomplished them after trying to commit suicide at 24. Why? Because by 24, I had gone to three different colleges and dropped out, two two different colleges and dropped out. I had been married and divorced by 24. And so I was looking at the life I should have been having at that point, and I was coming up way short. In fact, I was coming up like a failure, so why hang around? I was experiencing depression, and the way out to me looked like leaving the planet. But at 24, I entered. I didn't die, and I went to college, and I graduated at 27, and then I went, worked for some years, and I went to law school at 33 and graduated at 37. I, I like to say, you know, I, I got married at four, again at 41. We adopted at 45 a, 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 our, our daughter from China. Whose schedule was I on? If I allowed myself to judge myself based on where I ought to be at any given moment, I wouldn't have, I would have tried to die again after I didn't, i succeed the first time. It takes a lot of courage to follow your internal voice. It takes a lot of courage to truly march to your own drum. But never has that been more important. Why? Because someone's beating the drum of conflict now, and someone's beating the drum of hatred now, and someone's beating the drum of faster, faster, faster now, and someone's beating the drum of separation, separation. And so it's put down that music. It's put down that beat. It's put down that frequency, whether it's coming from the technology or it's coming from the people who use the technology wrongly or use it to control or manipulate. Put it down. You have an internal drive. You have your own hard drive. You have your own drummer you have the beat that is uniquely yours. And that's the only beat you need to resonate with because that's what we call authenticity, right? The only way you can be authentic is to be who you really are, driven by what's inside of you, not what someone else is trying to fill, excuse me, to fill you with. It doesn't mean You don't take in information. It doesn't mean you're not open. It means you act as a conscious filter. You use the gifts you were given, the gift of reason, the gift of free will, the gift of of perseverance, the gift of the will to live, the will to survive, surviving chaos, right? It's why I call the show Surviving Chaos, because... Yes, it can be unnerving. And yes, it can be difficult. And yes, it can be the unknown. Chaos generally upsets the status quo. But here's the last point I want to make on the show today. And this is probably the most important point. When chaos attempts to reorganize and restructure It is very dangerous to tear down what is, to demolish what is, without construct for what will be in its place. So, for example, again, history, when people left England and they wanted to get away from a monarchy and they wanted to get away from dictatorship and they wanted to get away from the oppression of King George, And they came to the the United States, when they came to to North America, they came to, to America and they settled here and they began to structure something other than the English legal system and the English form of governance. These were people educated in the Roman Empire, in the Greek civilization. They, they, they met with Franklin, met with Native American Indians who had a confederation, who had their own system of balance of power within their tribes, and they fashioned something that would replace what they were rejecting. They built a framework, we call it the Constitution, they built a framework to replace what wasn't working for them. Now, there is tremendous pressure to tear down whether you think America's been a bad leader for the world, whether you think democracy isn't any good, whether you think that socialism is the answer or communism is the answer or whether you think Donald Trump is a racist and he should be impeached, whatever it is, there is a great deal of chaos for destruction's sake. And that never ends well. You have to have a concept of what will replace what you're tearing down. If you don't want to live in your home anymore and you say, you know what, I don't, this house won't fit me anymore, I don't, this house doesn't fit for me anymore, I've outgrown this house, well, you're free to get a bulldozer or have a construction company in and level that house. But if you haven't found another one or built another one, where do you go? And I know there are cute answers like, you know, you go to a Hilton, but <laughs> that's not what I'm talking about and you know it. Where, where do you go? Where do you take your family? Where do you take your possessions, the things that are of value to you? What do you do if you destroy the only construct for safety, for holding things together that you know? It's reckless. It's immature. It's unrealistic. And it's dangerous. And so when you hear people saying burn it down or, you know, harm public officials, you know, they need they need to go to jail, they need to be this, they need to be that. It's okay to have wanted posters at the home of who was it, the head of the I don't know, one of, the, one of the cabinet officers last week, they were at his home with wanted posters for him like he was a criminal. You can't burn it down unless you have a sense of what will replace it. So being thoughtful and being present and allowing and being courageous these are all necessary qualities, more so as we go through transitory time, because as we go through transition, things things have fallen apart. Systems have broken down, and we're struggling with what to do about that. We're struggling from a consciousness standpoint. We, we've we come a long way, right, and we see the capacity of the human mind. We see it in the in AI, But again, if you're going to pour all your energy into creating as quickly as possible AI that can rule the world, because your goal is to be the first at the, at the end of the finish line, and there is no plan, there is no thoughtfulness around the morality, the principles, The boundaries around AI, if we tear it down and we turn it over to the technology, we'll have no one to blame for where that goes once that's out of control. And I'm not saying we don't pursue advanced technology. I'm saying we have to be thoughtful around it just like we have to be thoughtful around all the decisions that we make. Now, let me bring it home in the last few minutes of the show. You and I on a daily basis can do very little about the presidency, what the cabinet is doing, what the Congress is doing, what Putin is doing, what Bill Gates is doing. There's very little, okay? But that's not ours to handle. It's like the tsunami in CNN. The only thing you're being asked to deal with is directly what's in front of you each and every moment of each and every day because that is yours to handle. So when you walk down the street and there's someone laying in the street covered with newspaper, that is yours to handle. That is yours to either walk over or, God forbid, kick or give money to or go buy a sandwich Or say, you know, okay, I'm going to walk around him. Those are all free will choices you get to make. But don't kid yourself that that person laying there isn't yours to handle. It is. We define ourselves by the choices we make. We are made, we are inundated every day with the big issues. With what Trump is doing, with what Putin is doing, with what the Dow is doing, the stock market. None of us can affect any of that. The way we can affect the world is by handling what's in front of us. So you know the expression when, um, oh, what is it? Uh, When a, oh, I can't think of it. It's when a a, a raindrop falls in, in, when a raindrop falls in Austin, Texas, um, there's a, there's a wind, oh, when a wind blows in Austin, Texas, there's a, there's a windstorm in, 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 Tokyo, it's not quite the analogy. I can't think of what it is, but my point is everything we do, every choice we make, every word we speak, every action we take has a rippling effect because we're all connected. It's all just energy, frequency. When you feed the frequency of division, when you feed the frequency of, of outrage, when, you, when we feed the frequency of, of hatred and separation, we are impacting the world. Each one of us makes a difference. When we feed it with love, when we feed it with acceptance, when we feed it with tolerance, when we feed it with meaningful action and thoughtful um, contemplation, we affect the world. Our egos think it has to be grandiose. Our egos think you have to be Lady Gaga or you need your 15 minutes of fame. No, no, that's the illusion. The reality is whether you smile or you don't, if the next person you see makes a difference because that person takes that smile with them, and maybe that helped their day. And then they go on, and, and a few minutes later, they're able to be nicer to someone because you made them feel better about themselves. And if you're rude to someone or you're abrupt, as I was today when with my daughter when I got late for the show, I realized, okay, if you do that, then that translates on as well. And so it's very important that we all realize the impact we have, but we put our egos aside and not think that the impact has to be grandiose or else it doesn't matter. You matter very much. We all matter very much. If not, we wouldn't be here. There wouldn't be a purpose, and there is a purpose. There's a purpose to your life, and there's a purpose to life, all life in general. The only one you need to be concerned with, and this will take the pressure off, by the way, the only one you need to be concerned with is the purpose that is specifically yours and the elements. And the tools of that purpose will be provided to you if you stay in the moment and allow yourself enough breathing room to see the choices that you make in the context of what has come before and what will come after. I'm going to use the last few minutes to just drive you all for a couple to do a couple of things if you would. Please share this um, Facebook Live. Please share this if you think it's meaningful. Like it. Like um, it. You can go to my website, carol, C A R O L E gold.com. Um, you can see the other services and products that, that I do provide in my own business. And also, you can click on the blog um, on my website, and you can go to uh, a blog that I co write with Steve Clark, a friend of mine and a Wall Street, uh, former Wall Street trader. And you can subscribe. So you can also get our blog directly into your email. Um, I'm going to be doing this show weekly, uh, probably every Thursday at this time. Um, It will be called Surviving Chaos because I think that's where we all are and what we need to do. And I'm going to do my best to help you get through and to help you help others get through as well. There is nothing in the darkness like a light, right? And so I hope to be one here And hope to help each one of you shine the light that is inherently inside of you. Because in the end, as I like to say, we're all just God in action. So have a great weekend. And I'll be back here again next week. Um, I'm Carol Gold. And this has been Surviving Chaos. Have a great afternoon. I'm about to reach over and shut this off as soon as I can figure out how, how. Which is what I do every time. Finish. Bye, guys. And the show, the podcast is about to end, so same thing to everybody here. Thanks for joining me. I'm Carol Gold, and you've been listening to Surviving Chaos. been listening to Inspirational goals with Carol Gold. Please check out Carol's blog on her website at www.carolgold.com You can email her at contact at Carol can also be heard Fridays at 10 a.m. Central on Above the Fray Podcast with co-host Steve Clark. Please visit Carol's fan page on Facebook at Above the Fray Podcast. Follow her on Twitter at Now. It's great having you be a part of creating a better world. Until we're all back together again. Namaste.